Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 121. I will apologize immediately. My voice is not what it could be. I'm a bit under the weather. Uh, now, if you guys are like me, if you are listening to a podcast, uh, you probably have earbuds in, and anytime I listen to a podcast and someone ha- is sick, then I hear their congestion right in my ears, and it makes me want to throw up. So... I totally understand if you do not want to listen to this episode. What I think I'll do is I will throw it to my co-host, Josh Long, who I've not introduced yet. Um, I will throw it to him, and I will let him drive the episode. We did not talk about this beforehand, uh, but I think we'll just – I think – obviously, I think that's the way to go. So uh, – but yeah, so I apologize um, for the uh, the illness I – I would I would have liked to to wait until maybe uh, I was a little bit better, but unfortunately we've got a hard out because Josh is going out of town for I think in the area of like eighty seven weeks I think um, starting uh, tomorrow for for the holiday season uh, for the uh, next ten years and so uh, so yeah we had to get this done and people were curious what we thought about today's movie so yeah uh, everything was conspiring against me recording this with a good voice. So I apologize in advance. Uh, all right. I will bring in that co-host that I was talking about uh, in a moment. What I will say is, uh, as, I, as I think I mentioned before, I'm going to be in Miami on January 17th, and I'm putting together something of a sort of a little meetup. Uh, right now, There are it'll be me and I think two other listeners, uh, though I'm, I don't totally recall if they are listeners of More Than One Lesson or just Battleship Pretension, but... If you live in that area and you'd be at all interested in hanging out, uh, meeting other listeners and uh, talking to me, um, it's something that I really enjoy. I just love the ad, the the ad, adulation. Is that the word? That's a word, right? The adulation of my fans. I like to just bask in the glow of people saying, I, I like Django Unchained, you know, uh, which is basically what it is anytime you meet uh, uh, online film fans, including me. Um but, uh, but yeah, so if you are at all interested, email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com, and uh, I will give you the details of where we are meeting and when. So, okay. I think announcement-wise, I think that is it. Um, although I will say next week there will be a mini-sode, but it's not going to be a Best of Pictures mini-sode. It will just be a little thing uh, from me, probably no longer than 15, 20 minutes, uh, just talking about uh, the season and actually a follow-up on, on an episode that I did, or a mini-sode that I did last year. So I think as far as announcements, that is it. I will now welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Yes. How you doing? Doing good. All right. Getting ready to leave for that long trip. I will return in the year 2034. Yeah. Um, and you'll finally be like, ah, there we go. I feel refreshed. Celebrated the holidays with my wonderful family. Finally got that break I needed for 25 years. The 25-year long break is what I mean. Right. Which I think, I mean, isn't that basically the sort of, isn't that like the French work year at this I point? I think so, yeah. So you work for a few months, you get 25 years You get years 25 off. years off. So. Um, and, then, and then you come back and you, uh, you go, you retire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they hand you your loaf of bread and your yeah. beret and your cigarette and they yeah. say, enjoy the rest of your, of your life. Yes. You'll get, you'll get a massive pension <laughs> paid for by the citizens of Germany. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're getting political here on the show. Um, okay, so uh, we probably have one French listener who's furious right now. Sacre bleu! <laughs> yes, that's what they say, right? Every time they get furious. Yeah. 
I saw Beauty and the Beast. I get it. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I like the idea of a person who's who's whose understanding of France is based entirely on the film Beauty and the Beast. And even then, there's really only one character with a French accent. Yeah, and it's noted American actor Jerry Orbach. <laughs> um, did you know that? I don't know if I did. Yeah, it's uh, from uh, Law and Order, and um, oh. is it Dirty Dancing? Yeah, I believe so. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so uh, now how comfortable are you uh, just totally leading the charge on this episode? We can try and see what happens. That's probably not going to work. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start immediately by saying that. Uh, so this week's episode, we are talking about Ridley Scott's Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last year. Uh, sorry, last week. Um, that uh, this is what people have called the year of the Christian film. Now it is mm-hmm. not that because people say that because of Noah, uh, heaven is for real. God's not now, dead. God's not dead. No. Uh, saving Christmas, obviously is re- burning up the charts. <laughs> oh, it's really on people's radar. Uh, and now because of Exodus gods and Kings. Okay. Very few of those are actual like Christian films, which is to say funded by Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it actually is, it's the year that, that Hollywood recognizes that Christians have money mm-hmm. and are willing to spend it yeah, uh, to go see movies. And so you get – now, of course, Hollywood's interpretation of how to do that is insane because yeah. even though you and I both like Noah, uh-huh. I mean – Did that the, Son of God movie come out this year too? Or was oh, you know the end of last did. year? I think it came out this year, but I feel like I don't count it because it was cut down from a miniseries. Yeah, it's more just a miniseries repackaged as a film. Yeah, that seems like a pretty naked – cash grab to me <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah um even though you and i were big fans of noah i liked it a lot and i mm-hmm. really responded to it um you know it's still notably different than the bible yeah that's i feel like that's going to be an interesting that we can thing that we can go into a little bit in this in this episode is how uh even though the studios want to cater to this demographic now the you know your stereotypical rich christian family yeah um they still they're still holding on to this idea that they they still have to make sure that the ideas they present are still consistent with kind of a hollywood ideal you know yeah it's very strange that they just can't i mean i'm sure everybody can relate to this there's a thing that you so badly want to do and you understand the benefit of doing it but you have no and so you decide you want to do this but you have no clue how mm-hmm. um and that's the thing is i they they're they seem to be trying to like you said appeal to a demographic they have no idea what that demographic wants mm-hmm. or how to i don't know or or how to present it even in a neutral way like they just and so they hire two atheist directors not to imply that an atheist couldn't do a good biblical film i think they could but atheist directors who do have something of an agenda in how they want to tell the story that does kind of run counter to the bible at times Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say it's necessarily inherently unbiblical that's different but it's not taking its cues from the bible uh they're treating it uh, as though it were any other uh, any other book that they're just adapting, which right. I'm fine with artistically, yeah. but it's just fascinating to me. If you're trying to appeal to that demographic, that's right. going to want it to be biblically sound. Yeah. I feel like you and I are pretty forgiving of artistic license, even when it comes to the Bible, right? Christians that you're, t- you know, the Christians that we're talking about that are excited that, Oh, Hey, 
an adaptation of Exodus. How exciting. Yeah. They're not going to be, and certainly with Noah, they might be a bit more pleased with this film, but, uh, but probably not completely. Um, and it's just uh, astounding to me that it's like the story beats are all there already. You don't really have to change that much. It can still be interest. Certainly it can still be interesting visually, and you might need to fill in some character details, but by and large, you don't really need to change that much. No. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, we've already started delving into Exodus, so I'll just go ahead and do it, uh, uh, outright. Um, so yeah, we are talking about Exodus, Gods and Kings directed by Ridley Scott. And, um, you know, I had some problems with it. There was some stuff I liked, uh, and while we try to lead with with positivity, since we've already started getting into certain negative things, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess I would say first, just for people who don't know anything about this yet, uh, this movie is covering the biblical Exodus story from uh, of Moses leading people out of Egypt, the, the right. Israelites out of Egypt, and it starts before. Um, it starts when when Moses is just a, a member of you know is, is treated like Pharaoh's son and is you know kind of a member of Egyptian society and royalty really right and goes through uh, really the the real end of the movie is after they get to the other side of the Red Sea like after the parting of the Red Sea right uh, there's then, some little stuff after that but that's well little stuff including the the Ten Commandments. But it's not, yeah, but, but it's, a lot of time is not spent on it. Right. And it doesn't really, yeah. I don't feel like it's necessary for the movie at all. Yeah. It feels like a throwaway thing. And, um, probably a good thing to address now is I think you had heard this already cause I don't remember where, who I was talking with this about, but apparently the movie was supposed to be, or the original cut was over three hours. Yeah, I think so. That's a uh, friend of the show. Jason Eakin, uh, looked into it and, and told me that, that yeah. it was meant to be much longer. Right. So the, it may very well be that there are a lot of these pieces that are left, um, that don't seem to make any sense because they are part of a larger whole and fit in with, uh, other remnants or sorry, other pieces that are now gone. Uh, yeah. So it could be that, that dramatically or thematically or something in some way it was leading up to right. the creation of the 10 commandments. Um, but I, it doesn't really land in this version of the movie, which, which I think speaks to maybe one of my issues with the film in general. And that's a, and there's a really good example is that the 10 commandments did not need to be in this film, but they were included almost because I think maybe because either Ridley Scott or the studio or the writers or whatever felt like, well, you can't tell this story without the 10 commandments. So just put them in there. And yeah. it just felt like the, the film itself kind of had a, a greatest hits feel. Yeah. Um, kind of just hitting all the notes. Um, and even, even in some of the ways in some of the depictions of specifically like the 10 plagues of Egypt, I still find it very interesting, but there are times when it feels like they just need to rush through, hit the points that they know people are going to want to see and not really delve into them at all. Yeah. And, uh, that was a thing that frustrated me about the film, but I think probably more than anything, if I had to give my major issue with the film, it would be that it was just kind of bland. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically when it comes to characters and motivations. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, say what you want about Noah. I always had a really strong idea of who Noah was, who his family was, yeah. who the villain was. Totally. Uh, they felt like three-dimensional characters. Yeah. Anyone who's a major character, and really it's just the family and the villain in that yeah. one that are really uh, characters in it. They're all well, fully fledged out. They're You, you yeah. know who they are. Yeah. And I think with this one, it's funny. I feel like if we want to do the thing that we do sometimes where – we talk about what worked and what didn't. I feel like we could, this is a rare case for me at least where you can talk about what worked and what didn't and talk about the film chronologically at the same time. Oh yeah. Because for me, I, watching it the whole time, cause I'd heard that some negative things about it and I try to go into a movie, not sure. expecting that the things that I've been told are necessarily going to be true. But, uh, I'd heard there were some, you know, that it doesn't, didn't work that well for the first 45 minutes or something like that. I kept thinking like, I'm waiting for this movie to go off the rails and I don't think it's happened yet. And for me, as soon as the plagues start, that was it. After that, I felt like it turned into a different movie that I didn't like. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Up until then, it was a movie with characters that I recognize. Now I recognize them because I'd seen them in gladiator. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, come on, people. Like this, I mean, <laughs> plot, I mean, general plot points, in some cases, very specific plot points mm-hmm. are just lifted whole cloth from Gladi- Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, it's weird uh, how audacious it is in that, in that sense. But, um, but yeah, up until then, like we see character relationships and all that. Uh, and then, um, uh, I'm not sure if I'd say it's when the plagues of Egypt starts. I think it's when Moses, uh, for me, it's when Moses changes mm-hmm. when he sees the burning bush. And from then on, I don't know. I don't totally know what drives him. Mm-hmm. And I most certainly do not know what drives Ramses. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters seem to be going through the motions. I get a bit of a, more of a sense of Moses, especially when he's like arguing with God mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Uh, I get more of a sense of, of, well, hang on now. I get more dimension from him in that he's not just going along with what God wants. Mm-hmm. So that he's fighting against it and struggling. Like that that adds perspective to the character. But I still don't completely know why he's doing these things. And I guess the idea is like, well, it got, it's a revelation from God. Like that's going to be a... You know, there, it's going to be black and white. There's before this and then after. And so there doesn't need to be a lot of motivational follow-up, which yeah. I guess I can understand that, but it's still just, I didn't find it very satisfying. Well, and you know what? There are things that pay off about that, the moment when he sees the burning bush. I, I, I think I like uh, the way they depict God. And for those who haven't seen the film yet, they depict the voice of God as coming through a child. There's a child that is there in all these moments when Moses is talking to God, who is the voice of God. Yeah. Um, there's some stuff I liked about that. I thought, I thought it was kind of powerful when he asks who you are, who are you? And the kid says, I am. I thought that was a nice moment. I thought that was a good moment. Um, at the same time, somehow something about that scene doesn't make it seem as powerful as I feel like it's supposed to be. Because like you said, he, he has to have this 180 turn. Yeah. And we, we see him, 
the film depicts it as if Moses has no faith until that moment. Right. Uh, it depicts him as he speaks kind of like a modern day agnostic, which is, I think is another weakness of the film. I think there's a lot of times when they speak about, uh, spirituality very much in terms of 2014. Right. Um, for instance, Moses and Zipporah, his wife, have an argument about how they're going to raise their son, and she says something like, we'll let him decide when he grows old enough what he thinks. Yeah. And that's- Meanwhile, culturally, I feel like Moses would say, like, I feel like I could kill you for disagreeing with me, <laughs> yeah. and no court would touch me. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no way that would ever be in those characters' minds yeah. in, in reality. Um, and part of the reason that con- <laughs> Not only that, but that conflict wouldn't have even happened in the actual story because Moses did have, like, I think part of Moses uh, in the biblical story taking on, uh, or, or sorry, I guess, accepting his identity as an Israelite yeah. meant following that God. Right. And so, I mean, another cultural thing, Zipporah's father would not have let them get married if he wasn't. Right. You following the Israelite God. Yeah. So that's all to say that the kind of the way they look at spirituality is not consistent with the biblical story or culturally what that actual time would have been like. And I think it's just kind of supposed to fit with how we today think of these kind of things, which I'm actually kind of okay with, uh, to a certain extent, because one could make the argument that it's, it's making this more relevant to people that will be watching the film it's it's adopting attitudes that people are more likely to have now and that they can understand, um, I, especially when we see that he goes from having faith really in, in no gods or anything like that. And then he sees this and he sees constant displays of God's power and thinks, all right, well, this must be it. Yeah, um, I, I can understand that motivation and I can see that kind of working dramatically, but I feel like it would be more interesting if they took the actual text and made that into something that we could relate to. You know, I feel like yeah. there could be a way to take those actual things and make us understand that. I guess it would really be just making the audience work a little bit more, you know, making the audience come to something instead of just feeding them what they understand more easily. Yeah. And so I want to, I want to address this idea. Um, and I, I feel like if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you'll, you'll give us the benefit of the doubt. But I feel like I should say this anyway, that um, what Josh is saying and what I am saying is not that, oh, my problem, you know, our problem is that they didn't stick to the Bible enough. Our problem is that the material is already there. Yeah. And it's already very powerful, whether whether this be an Elmore Leonard novel or the Bible, if the material is there, you know, if it a, ain't, a good filmmaker knows when they don't need to punch stuff up. Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. I mean, you know, a movie we've talked about on here before is no country for old men. Now mm-hmm. I've not read the book. You have, it's a pretty straight adaptation. Yeah. Like even to the point of like their descriptions in the book that they just realize visually. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is very interesting. And so, uh, and maybe, and what you're also saying is maybe let's challenge an audience to engage with this material 
in the way the material is meant to be engaged with, which is, yeah, there were cultural differences then as opposed to now. Now, what are you going to do about it? I guess you could condemn it, but at the same time, the story we're telling is one in which God is a real thing and an Mm -hmm. active uh, entity. Yeah. So knowing that, how would you engage with this culture seeing what these characters are seeing Mm -hmm. as opposed to just looking at it with our, 2020 hindsight and and that sort of thing and trying to look at it like that um so yeah yeah. um okay i I wanted to touch on something that you said too that i that i agree with a lot is that um i feel like earlier in the movie we are getting kind of a sense of the of the characters a little bit I i feel like we get a pretty good sense of moses throughout the film I feel like I have a very good sense of who John Turturro's character is. Yeah. <laughs> That's one absolutely. character that I think may be, may be fully three-dimensional in, in this film. In the same way that I got a good sense of Richard Harris in Gladiator. Okay. Or Liam yeah. Neeson in Gangs of New York. Like, mm-hmm. a character like that tends to be written really, really well because they have to represent a certain idea, usually. Yeah. And then if you cast it well, and John Turturro, I think, is always cast well. Yeah. Um which is to say you would do well to cast him in, bir- in virtually anything. <laughs> um, yeah, that character feels uh, fully developed to me. Yeah. And again, this may be because of the editing issue, but that, you know, first 45 minutes to an hour, a lot of that character right. stuff seems to be building and, and seems to be kind of complete. Then once you get to this latter half, um, whether you, I think we kind of have a, agree on a general space of where the where the yeah. uh, uh shift happens if even if it's not a specific moment but all of the other israelite characters i feel like we know nothing about ben joshua kingsley, ben kingsley brings weight to the part yes but there's really nothing particular about that character no and, he's and, an elder and that's it right and he he is such a good actor that like you say he brings weight and that he makes that character at least engaging to watch mm-hmm. but as far as what that character is on the page he's a he's a uh, he delivers exposition that's it yeah um and joshua we got nothing aaron we got nothing and it, it makes it even worse that then throughout the movie they are kind of treated like they're bigger parts like yeah and they're maybe along they so- were at one point right exactly so th- so this may be in the fault of the editing but yeah. they as it is as it stands now it's like they're being treated as if they are characters that we know something about when we know absolutely nothing about them yeah we have now, the benefit of knowing is this what you were about to say yes we as christians know who right. they are yeah and we know the significance of them but yeah i think i i remember really liking i think it was the av club who talked about the character of joshua and said like you know Aaron Paul doing his best to take a dozen reaction shots and turn them into a character. <laughs> Seriously, he has nothing to do in this yeah. movie. And again, maybe the editing thing, yeah. but same with Sigourney Weaver. I feel like yeah, she why plays is... uh, Ramsey's mother, I believe. Yeah. And you know, she does she does her best, but at the same time like there's just nothing to that part. And all I can think with those casting choices, it seems like a waste of money. Like <laughs> 
I mean, Sigourney Weaver's a great actor. Aaron Paul's a great actor, but they... It's a name. It's a, you know, you recognize that name. You know where Aaron Paul is. That he appeals to a very specific type of viewer, as does Sigourney Weaver. And maybe that's the idea, is they just want to get more people to come in. But even then, if you came in for Sigourney Weaver or Aaron Paul, I think you'd be sorely disappointed in this film. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And it's just like, I think Christian Bale is enough of a name. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was actually very intrigued by their casting of Joel Edgerton because when I think of Ramses, I think of um, a certain degree of majesty and certainly a, a haughtiness and an arrogance. Mm-hmm. Joel Edgerton usually plays working class characters. Yeah. And yet I think he actually really stepped it up. And I think though so I think the character's not written well, I think he actually imbues the character with a lot of a lot of doubt, but also when he has to step up and be arrogant and be defiant, I think he actually achieves that. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I, from a performance standpoint, I think the character is very good. From yeah. a writing standpoint, I think he's not given much to work with. There's yeah. one little moment where he just, he talks about how he was not really loved as a child and how he's going to do it differently with his son. Mm hmm. That's kind of the one motivation we have. Yeah. And it works, okay, to the point where when we, like, as we march towards the death of the firstborn of Egypt, we know this is going to mean something. Right. It actually, they do a good enough job of giving that significance that when it happens, it's, it actually has, it, for me, it had an impact, especially, mm-hmm. and then afterwards when he's holding his son and talking to Moses, and Moses has a line that I think worked really well for me where he says, because Ramsey is saying like, why would you worship a God, a God that kills all these children? And then Moses says, no Hebrew child died last night. And I, and Joel Edgerson has a great look on his face in that moment of just like realizing exactly what he's been dealing with this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when he eventually, with that bit of information, when he finally tells them to just go, I totally bought it from a character standpoint. And I think that's mostly a function of his performance. But, yeah. uh, and so when it comes to that, that thread, I think it's because from a Hollywood standpoint, the idea of like, my dad didn't love me, so I'm going to love my son. But now that's been cut short. Like, that's a very clear narrative thread that's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And so. I think why, that's why that one is the most realized mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that works. I, I guess one thing we're kind of discovering maybe as we're saying this is I, I think all the performances are good in this. I'm, um, I mean the ones that I, the characters I don't like are mainly cause they're giving nothing right. to do. I can't think of, at least off the, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a performance that I, I wasn't think is super bad. thrilled with Sigourney Weaver's performance. Um, Everybody seemed to be trying to do an accent except her, which, and you know what? Good for her. If she feels like she can't do it, then yeah. that's fine. Um, but yeah, the performances were all good. Um, I'll say this. Uh, so Ridley Scott directed a movie called Kingdom of Heaven. Did you ever see it? Mm-mm. No. It's actually pretty good. And from what I hear, the director's cut is absolutely amazing. But the lead of the film is Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Well, he can't really carry a movie, much less an epic, and he gets swallowed up in the hmm. grandeur of the film. That does not happen here. This is a film that has a lot of grandeur, a lot of spectacle, but the actors 
emerge as like the f- they are they are still the face of the film, yeah. not the special effect, not the art yeah. direction, and so that that speaks to their ability to, and that comes down to the direction and the editing, like mm-hmm. knowing how much to always be checking in <laughs> with what the characters are doing. That's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting observation because I think it leads me to something else, which is. I think a problem with the film is that for several, for several reasons, I feel like the plagues are a problem for the film. Um, and I'll go to one that relates closest to what you were just saying. When those are happening, Mm -hmm. it's as if we've just gone away from the characters in the movie for, for quite a period of time. We check in with them a little bit here to see a Moses reaction, a little bit here to see a Ramsey's reaction, but really it's just a lot of scenes of, can you believe this or can you believe that? Yeah, it's a montage. Right. And if the case is that this is a film where the characters, because of, by virtue of the actors, do drive the film, then that's a weakness to go away from those characters for so long. Yeah. And I, I wonder if this is total speculation. I wonder if that's something that Ridley Scott, looking back at a movie like Kingdom of Heaven where the characters couldn't drive it, wanted instead to stay with the spectacle. I don't know. That I could be totally off base with that. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I, I do think that it probably comes down to this feeling of like, okay, we all know the story. We know we've got beats to hit. Mm-hmm. Let's hit them quickly. And, and time-wise, we can't spend a lot of time on every plague. Right. And so I understand that instinct, but at the same time, we do need to like, Oh, the river is blood now. And we all have horrible boils on our faces and mm-hmm. the locusts are eating all of our crops. Like I'd be fine with maybe having a montage for like the, like the, the middle three or something like that. But mm-hmm. I want to see people's reactions and I want to see like, there is actually a really nice scene that I like with actor Ewan Bremner uh, that I know primarily from train spotting and other such things. He's a very reliable comic actor and he plays sort of a high priest. Uh, and yeah. his character is simply called expert <laughs> in the, uh, in the credits, which I love. Yeah. And he's just constantly explaining yeah. the plagues as though it's no big deal. As if like, if we just ride this he's, out, everything will be fine. Yeah, He's trying to come up with like a logical explanation to why any of it's happening. Yeah. And then Ramsey's, hangs him (laughs) eventually he's had enough yeah and it's just and it's a so moments like that within the montage are are powerful but yeah um and i'll get to the spectacle of the mon uh, of the the plagues in a moment but just the the timing of it like we really like these are big things like we are actually seeing strange things happen that coincide with what uh moses said might happen or Mm -hmm coincides with what he wants and yeah and we're not allowing that to land for ramses right and that seems so more so much more frustrating to me because of another problem that i have with the film which is that there there is a built-in solution to that problem yeah in the source material moses is constantly coming back to pharaoh in the biblical story and saying there's going to be more of this unless you let the people go. And every time Pharaoh chooses, no, or there might even be one time when he says he's going to let them go. And then he changes his mind. And then another plague goes, I feel like that happens somewhere in there, but I might be misremembering. I don't recall. Anyway, um, there is at least Moses coming back constantly and saying, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Right. So you have it built in where, uh, 
there he's faced he, he's forced to face this head on and he makes a choice to not do anything about it like that's yeah. a really interesting character moment yeah for ramses to have to be either so prideful or, or you know for whatever reason decides to ignore the fact that these things are happening or to not accept that this is because of yeah uh moses god that's that gives so much tension and and there's so much you can do with that so to totally leave that out seems like such a wasted opportunity and there's a scene where ramses is talking at first to moses but then probably to god uh well he's talking to moses thinking moses is perhaps there and then it turns into him talking to god and he's making threats and he's saying no i'm a god and his it's like I don't think that scene is particularly well executed, but that's an interesting beat to play. And I would have liked to see more of that. Right. And there definitely could have been that. And then uh, there's another thing I feel like they could have done, which is um, when it comes to the uh, to the moment of uh, when Ramses meets up with Mo- with Moses after his child has died after yeah. the last plague. Um, and he asks that question, like, how would you worship a God that kills all the children? Uh, and. Moses says none of the Hebrew children died at the same time. I kind of wanted, and maybe we're supposed to make this connection in our heads. And I guess I did. So maybe it worked anyway, but I kind of want Moses to say something like, or to point out the fact that Ramsey sees himself as a God. And before this, he was saying he was going to kill all the Hebrew children. Right. So Ramsey's goes from a place of saying that he is a God and saying that he is going to kill all of his enemies, children, to uh, calling a God who did that very thing unjust. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it does seem like, I mean, that moment is still there, but it's not really called attention to. And so it's hard to know how much I want a film to underline something because mm-hmm. I don't want it to hold our hand the whole way. Yeah, exactly. And that that's why I don't totally know how I feel about that. I, I feel like somehow I wanted that to land more. But I, then again, I did make that connection in my head, so maybe yeah. maybe that's and as I did much as they want. Not to immediately, um, and so maybe I made the connection because that's what I wanted to be there. <laughs> maybe I was imagining yeah. the thing that I wanted to happen. Yeah, and it's but that's the thing is like there's it's frustrating when you see all the elements are there for a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those first 45 minutes an hour or whatever, I feel like it's a pretty serviceable epic, you know? it's a, You know what? It's a serviceable epic, but at no point did I feel like I was watching a biblical epic. I felt like yeah. I was watching Gladiator again, yeah. which is still still good, still exciting. I don't love Gladiator, but it's just like, okay, fine. This is, like, again, serviceable. Um, but then I remembered, oh, yeah, theoretically they're telling this story. And then once they start telling that story, that's when it just starts going to a kind of uh, autopilot in a way. Yeah. I'm not really interested in delving into things. Yeah. Um, but there's still a little, again, like it's, it's a film that I'm not sure if I'd say I recommend it, but I don't not recommend it either. Like there are enough moments. There are performances. I like, I think the spectacle is done remarkably well. I like how many of the sets are practical. I think the costumes are great. Yeah. You really get a sense of the time. It feels like they used more practical sets than they did in, in gladiator to make the uh, comparison. And I like that because going back now and watching gladiator, I remember at the time people talking, making such a big deal about how everything really looked like ancient Rome Yeah, and you go back and watch it now and you're like, "Eh, not, not so much. Yeah. Um, so granted, maybe we'll be saying this same thing, the same thing about this movie in 15 years that none, that it all looks fake. But. I don't think anybody will be talking about it in 15 <laughs> years, but I get what you're saying. Most likely. Not. Um, 
Yeah. And here's, here's ultimately what it comes down to for me is that in the, so there are shots, you know, there, there are scenes that take place between two people in a, you know, in a temple or something like that. And everything's real. And I believe the world then at other times, there'll be a, 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 a wide shot of the whole city. And I believe it there too. Like mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm looking at Egypt. I never really feel like I'm looking at a computer graphic or anything like that. Yeah, and so true. in that sense, everything hangs together. I feel like I'm being transported into this world. That's just so foreign to me. Right. Uh, and that was, it was fun. It was fun to be in that world. Yeah. Um, and just to see how it, uh, how people interacted with, with that. And yeah. So I was trying to figure out where they, where they filmed some of the stuff that takes place out in, you know, the wilderness or supposed yeah. to be at the red sea and such. And I, I think some of it was shot in Spain. Oh, okay. I could see that. But, uh, the, I kind of liked those scenes in the wilderness, like yeah. where, wherever there's like the mountain pass and there's that big pile of stones. That's yeah. kind of the marker they use. I, that was a cool set piece. And, and yeah. it, it was interesting to think about that from a, uh, from a, uh, Maybe a directorial standpoint that people have to recognize this uh, uh, fork in the path in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. they make that recognizable. You you notice that thing the first time he walks past it, and then when he comes back later, you're like, "Oh, there's that thing." And like, yeah. I don't know, it, it it does a good job of creating the space, even when the space is the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and that's the thing is Ridley Scott is not what he used to be. Um. And probably hasn't been for many, many years. But he still has a visual sense. He still knows yeah. how to tell a story visually. Um, I think his storytelling is not that great. But mm-hmm. from the visual standpoint, he always I think he always delivers. Even little things like, while I don't like how the plagues of Egypt were rushed through, from a visual standpoint, uh, just the way they develop. Mm-hmm. Um Little things like, okay, the the river turning to blood, it doesn't ha- – okay. I guess this is another thing we can address is that uh, <clears throat> Ridley Scott seemed intent on – not unlike the expert character, <laughs> he seemed intent on showing us the logistics of how these plagues happened. Yeah. Up to a point. That, the it, firstborn, that you can't do that. That's one. the thing. That's why I feel like that it just doesn't even work to do that. Yeah. And uh, so what we're talking about is that – it seems like there's an explanation of how scientifically or whatever logically these yeah. things could have actually happen. So the river doesn't actually transform into blood. There are a bunch of alligators that show up out of nowhere yeah. and attack people and then attack each other. And then the rivers are filled with blood. Yeah. And the fish are dying. And so there are a bunch of flies. Right. Which then draws a lot of frogs. But even just the way the the I believe they're crocodiles officially, not alligators. Oh, excuse me. Crocodiles. Um, but uh, even just I, I it's weird. Just the quiet way in which the crocodiles are revealed where mm-hmm. it's just like a, a serene shot and then you know we see underwater and you just see like the just the foot of a crocodile just go by and then here comes another one mm-hmm. it's just little stuff like that that you feel like oh i've seen that ridley scott before the yeah. patient one yeah the one who's willing to just kind of let things sit for a moment before revealing something and probably the director's cut is a lot more like that I mean, yeah that would make sense well i, hope I so. say that as if there's definitely going to be a director's cut but i'm ridley I mean, scott's if, intended you know what, if cut there the is film. if there is a director's cut that's released on on blu-ray i think i'll watch it. i'd like to see it yeah i'd, I'd um, say the same thing um but yeah back back to that whole uh the whole thing with those plagues you get to a certain point when 
both both the darkness and the firstborn there's no yeah real way to describe those yeah or to, to sorry to explain those scientifically or logically so i i i guess i can initially understand the impetus to try and explain those things that way but if you're then going to go to you have to go 100% supernatural certainly for the last one i kind of think for the last two yeah then what's the point of trying to explain them earlier? I right. think it's more powerful if you're going to believe that these are something, that these are things that can happen out of nowhere and completely unexplainable. Uh, if, if we're going to establish at some point that that's possible at all. Yeah. Come out the gate with that. Like that's river turning to blood. That's the thing that doesn't make sense. And is really creepy yeah. if it happens. Yeah. It makes for it. I'll say this. The crocodile crocodile sequence is fun. <laughs> it does make um, for a good little action. Scene. They, uh, watching that makes me think like Ridley Scott should direct some kind of creature feature, some kind of pulpy oh. creature feature. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, he did. It's called Alien. And, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it worked go. well. It was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird that uh, it felt like you said that <laughs> as though he were a completely different director, <laughs> right, which yeah. I guess he kind of is now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's just. And the thing is, any any miracle, any act of God, there will be a way to observe it scientifically. You know, you'll be able to see like what the physical impact is and all that sort of thing. But this is not; he doesn't seem to be wanting to observe that this is how God did this. He seemed to want to be able to explain it scientifically, and that's a different thing. Right. And what it comes down to ultimately is okay. One of my favorite jokes in The Simpsons. Uh, featured the character of Sideshow Bob and his brother, uh, whose name I have... Sideshow uh, Mel? No, no, no. That's his... That's, uh, that's, oh, that's his replacement. Yes, that's right. Bob's brother's name is... Cecil, I think? I don't remember. But anyway. Uh, voiced by David Hyde Pierce from Frasier. <laughs> and so... Uh, I don't remember exact. I don't remember any of the lead-up to this joke, but I always thought it would... It always made me laugh. For reasons I can't even quite explain, except for just the delivery by, on David Hyde Pierce's part, where he said they talk about how uh, he talked about how he and Bob went to Europe many years ago. He goes, Bob wanted to go to Italy. I wanted to go to France. We settled on Spain, satisfying no one. And <laughs> I always thought that was funny. Just that idea is like you settle on this thing and no one's happy. And it felt like. Hollywood or whatever, like the audience wants a biblical movie. Ridley Scott, an atheist, wants to ex- wants to explore something from a purely scientific point of view. They settled somewhere in the middle, satisfying no one. Yeah, like because you can't ha- because when you're dealing with God's direct intervention with things. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to exp- – either you need to make enough changes that you can explain all of it mm-hmm. or you need to just acknowledge that, all right, God's involved. That's going to have to be the end of it. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what I want, but at least to go back to Noah, God is a character. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen that could only come from God. Yeah. And that and is a clear force. Darren Aronofsky makes no bones about it. Yeah, and I like the – I mean – it's interesting to have both of these movies in the same year where you have a character wrestling with a god that doesn't always appear when he wants him to. Yeah. 
And it really works for me and Noah. It, him totally questioning God and maybe even rejecting God at points yeah. works for me and Noah. It doesn't work for me in this movie. Yeah, partially because God is given a physical form. And so when... Right. Whereas in, in Noah, it's this idea of like there there is evidence here and there of God's presence, mm-hmm. but that could just as easily... You can't directly see him, whereas this, it's a very clear absence yeah that's very palpable and also in the noah one that because of the way because they depicted the way you were describing it it's easier for us to relate to that as christians at least um but uh but yeah and another problem is i i mean i think you kind of have again we've been talking about the weak writing some of the stuff that they put in god's mouth isn't isn't that great here's the thing about making God into a kid or being represented by a kid. It can work great. And sometimes it does. Mm -hmm. It can also make him look like a petulant little child. Right. And And when they have him essentially jealous mm -hmm. now, people now, of course the Bible says that God is jealous, which is to say we belong to him. And the idea that we would give ourselves over to a much more evil force when he is the thing that loves and will protect us. Okay, that's what when people say jealous God, that's what they mean, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, jealous is not the same as possessive um, or anyway, envious or envious. Very different things. But anyway, uh, but this makes him look petty. Like, like the whole reason he wants to get rid of that. He wants to punish Egypt is because the pharaohs think they're so great. Yeah. And it's just like, Which sounds like something like an angry thirteen-year-old in the play, playground right. might say. And you know what? Even if he, even if they added one line of him saying, "These pharaohs think they're gods, and they're taking everybody else with them. Hmm. They are leading people astray. Yeah, people are putting their trust in these pharaohs and not in me. And it's not. And they need." to be shaken yeah. away from that or even to focus more on like how this is based on his love for his people and his promise to, to protect right. his people. Like that comes into it a little bit, but, the but not the, enough the at kid all. It seems so aloof and, yeah. and, and just, yeah. And while and, I understand that anytime we deal with like, anytime God is personified, he will pro he will seem different. He right. will not, but that's the thing is we believe that God does love us. Right. And, God taking the the Hebrews out of Egypt is an act of love right. and loyalty, and so I would like to see some of that. Right, and I don't feel you certainly don't see it enough. Um, we I get think, more benevolence from God in Bruce Almighty <laughs> than we do in this. That's that's true, yeah. And I I I feel like some of that is the writers wrestling with the idea of a god who does cruel things because this is this is the angry old testament god that everyone always talks about um but i feel like instead of uh really delving into that and seeing the connection between that and his love for his people they really just go with the vengeful thing and kind of make him look bad just and which i think kind of leads them to this weird uh uh this weird conclusion where the final moment between Moses and God, which is that kind of tacked on thing with the 10 commandments has them coming to this sort of to this resolution that they don't really agree all the time, but they're going to work together with each other, which puts them on a strange equal footing, which doesn't work for the rest of the movie. Doesn't work with the source material. doesn't work. I, I, I feel like, is being used to kind of justify the way that the writers as people would like to look at God instead of make it work 
either for the movie or for the biblical story. Now, there is a way to interpret that exchange, which is Moses didn't always agree with God, but he did it anyway, which yeah. is the definition of faith. Yeah. So, and, it, and I, I think it wouldn't take a lot of tweaking for that to really come through, mm-hmm. but I just don't know if the writers wanted that to come through. Yeah, I don't think so, which is, I think, why they have, it's some kind of retort that Moses has to the child. Yeah. Something like, well, I didn't always agree with you. Yeah. And he says it in a way that's like, you probably shouldn't have killed all those kids, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And it's, uh, and it's one of those things that like, I would, I, I would have been fine with like a, like a screaming argument mm-hmm. between Moses and the kid, except at that point you need a kid that's going to really be able to go toe to toe with a screaming Christian, Christian bail, bail, yeah. which even David O. Russell couldn't do. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, um, uh, was it David O. Russell that yeah, you were screaming so. with? Oh, no, well, it was, I'm thinking of the thing from Terminator, but, uh, but I think he had an argument with David O'Russell. Oh, as oh well. yeah. The thing from like the back the behind the scenes thing from Terminator. Yeah, yeah. I think that was with like a DP or something. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, we've seen how crazy he can get. So like you need a kid that can go toe to toe with him and that's tough. Yeah. But in that moment, this, like him yell, like him saying like, I didn't agree with this. I thought it was terrible. And then God could say like, you're here. Your people are here. They're not there. Do you want to know why? What like after all those plagues, after darkness, after all of that, you still were there. Yeah. It took a big thing for this to happen. Yeah. You know? And yeah, it needs just, to be that same God that shows up in Job that says Yeah. You can exactly that, that lets lets the man rage, you know, like lets the human be angry about all the things that he's angry about and then yeah. say, Let me put this into perspective for you. Right. That, yeah. And and I say that, I feel like, especially atheist listeners hearing that will feel like what we're saying is we just want it to be like the biblical story. I, I don't think that's it. I honestly think that that is more dramatically interesting. There's, yeah, there's actually a lot. Of, people approach the Bible as though it is simple. And that includes me. And time after time, certainly on this show, we've talked about it. Time after time, I am reminded how remarkably complex it is. And at the very least, like this, okay, I don't, I've been told in the past that when I talk about, uh, like Job and Moses and all that, I tend to talk about it story wise Mm -hmm. as though it's a thing that I don't actually believe and that Mm -hmm. I'm approaching it like any other story. So I apologize if that's how I'm coming across. What I will say is from a narrative standpoint, Mm. There's a lot of, com- there's enough complexity there yeah. in the same way that, you know, there are plenty of real life stories that you don't need to, like, for example, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but, uh, unbroken. Yeah. That's a real life story. You don't need to make any, if anything, you might need to take something out so that it seems more believable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's enough complexity there that you actually don't need to layer this other stuff on. In fact, if you just stay true to it. Like the story to me, the story of David and the complexity of that character. Oh yeah, sorry of that person, but mm-hmm. in from a movie standpoint of that character, that gives you that gives an actor so much to latch on to. Yeah, deeply flawed. Yeah, still trying to do the right thing, and then the humility that comes with I have done horrible stuff, and yet God has stuck with me. Like that's all. It's all there. You don't need to add anything to that. Now, of course. And some, there are some stories in the Bible that like you'll, you'll need to flesh things out. That's fine. I get that. And 
but it's just yeah it, it, this this is a film that actually is in my opinion too simplistic because yeah. they didn't stick closer to the bible yeah even to the extent of like i mean there has never been a depiction of moses in which he has a speech impediment or a problem uh trouble talking oh, and yeah. aaron speaks for him yeah because i recognize that's not <laughs> remarkably cinematic but how interesting would that be yeah. because then the you know then you have you know uh an actor playing Moses as a guy who does so desperately wants to convey these things, but has a hard time. Mm -hmm. And so you can, and there are plenty of, there's certainly precedent for like good performances coming through somebody. I mean, even right now, theory of everything. Yeah. Uh, and then what was it? Uh, the diving bell and the butterfly. Yeah. Just someone who, who wants to express something and they can't, but then you also get a good performance out of this guy who seems to understand and he has to convey Moses is conveying something from God. And then he, Aaron is conveying something from Moses. Like there's a lot of layers there and all of them have to kind of work with each other in order to make this message heard. There's a lot of complexity there. And I think it's, it'd be really interesting to see that happen. Yeah. I understand why they haven't done it ever. Yeah. It, to my knowledge ever. Right. Yeah. And not that I can think of. Yeah. But. So I understand why they, why they haven't done that, but I just feel like anybody who says that like the Bible needs to be for lack of a better term, gussied up in order yeah. to work. I think you haven't read it. Yeah. At least not recently. Yeah. So I think we're kind of about ready to go into the companion film, but there was one other thing I wanted to talk about, which was uh, the... uh, I feel like the film kind of undercuts its own climax and finale. I feel like the finale is not very strong. Yeah, right? Like, it's it's, it's strange. It's... Because what happens in in, in the film is... You know, the people are escaping across the Red Sea, and that, that's kind of a cool moment, the kind of the, the visualization of it, because you're so used to seeing, like, the yeah. walls of water on either side of them. Yeah. And this is more just the water all goes rushing in one direction and then kind of just clears out the entire Yeah. Uh, Which admittedly, it's neat. It's not quite as dramatic as walking with walls of water on both right. sides of you. It's, but it's it's still neat. It's 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 neat because it's it's different. Yeah. So and that's kind of, that's one of the things that we're not seeing them do in this movie is is do things differently. Um, but uh, but then so the pharaoh and his men come rushing in. I do like the moment when uh, the pharaoh and his men take they try to take the quicker pass and a yeah. bunch of it collapses and he just has to watch as thousands of his men just fall into the ravine. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool, and I th- I thought that highlighted his hubris. So yes, I thought that was very effective. much so. Um, but then when they get there, they go riding into the sea. Uh, the water starts coming back. The Israelites go on. Moses and his people go back for some reason. I I, I never understand exactly what the motivation is that they go back. I think I, the impression I got is that they don't think they're going to be able to make it. So maybe they think they're going to try and so they're, hold they're, them off or something. Yeah, yeah. And they do that before they see the wall. Of that, water that is coming. true. It's before they see the wall. So I guess that makes sense. But um, but then so the, the Pharaoh's men go f- much too far into the sea to be able to turn around before finally turning around. Right. With the exception of Ramses, who keeps going. That makes sense. He keeps going. But I don't know why they wait to turn around until that last moment, because they're apparently able to 
of their own volition. He doesn't stop them when they do turn around. Right. So I don't know why they don't do that earlier. So they're then now they're clearly doomed, but no longer a threat at all. Yeah. Um, then Moses and Ramses kind of meet each other in the middle. Yeah. And then the water just hits them and they both wash up on their opposite shores. Yeah. Everyone that the water hits dies pretty much except the two of them. Right. There's no explanation to why the two of them don't die. There's no climactic moment between the two of them. Yeah. It, I, I was literally expecting that what this movie would do is somehow have the water come back and like, like not hit them. Yeah. Almost, almost like, be like a dome. Yeah. I, I kept expecting that and thinking that'd be really, I mean, there's weird, dramatic but, license, but it'd be kind of great in a way <laughs> Yeah, that like, that even God understands, like, we need a a, a resolution here. Uh, <laughs> right. Nar- narratively. Um, but there's yeah, just and it, nothing. They And they don't have a, they don't have a chance to have some kind of final battle, any kind of dialogue, like yeah. a, a fight with those two swords that they're supposed to, that they've both got and are yeah, supposed to have, have to each use to protect swords. each other. That's the, that's the way that those uh, props are, are uh, introduced. And wouldn't it have been interesting if just like, They've got those swords. They are, it is noted that they have each other's swords. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be neat if like they start to fight or something like that and then they just, they see the water coming and they just stop and then they just exchange swords because they no longer, you know, they're not brothers anymore. They're not reliant on each other anymore or anything like that. They just give each other swords. They have this moment of, you know, just sadness or lamenting what, could have been and what isn't because of Ramsey's stubbornness and yeah. hard heartedness. If you want to get specific, <laughs> um, just, I don't know. It's, th- there's just, there's a lot of options of there could be an action climax. There could be an emotional climax, which is yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. There could be any number of things except for what there, you know, beyond what there is, which is nothing. Nothing. It is. It's the definition of empty spectacle. Like they yeah. thought the spectacle of the water rushing in would be enough, but it isn't. Um, and they tried to, by having these two guys just looking at each other and just getting washed away, they thought that would be enough. And it isn't because them standing there is not an active thing. Yeah. I mean, they're not leaving, they're not retreating. So I guess there's that, it's but just, it's just, I don't know. You can just think of so many other things that could have happened that could have been more interesting. I, I feel yeah. like anything could have been more interesting. Yeah. What if, what As if it turns Moses, out anything is more interesting than nothing? Yeah. What if Moses had made it to the other side and you can see Ramsey's continuing to come and they're, you know, they're making eye yeah. contact and Moses is knowing he's not going to make it. They're both knowing he's not going to make it, but he just keeps coming and then the water washes him away. Yeah. Like, even then you still don't have, uh, you still don't have a, it, that still leads to some yeah. kind of emotional climax, even if they don't actually meet each other or fight or talk or anything. Yeah. But this yeah. is, I yeah. think, Either way, I think Moses being on the other side and out of danger and Ramsey's having to make a choice. I mm-hmm. think that's probably better. That would be ideal. If yeah. you want to have them in the middle, you've got some options. But like Ramsey's either continuing to go or stopping and just a look being exchanged and then very hesitantly turning around. And the realization that's like, I'm not as powerful as your God. I have to retreat if I'm yeah. going to live at all. Yeah. Um, or just, or even him just standing there and defiantly looking at him, not, not chasing him, yeah. not leaving, just saying like, 
I'm not, you that can't he, tell me what to do. Right. That up to the end, he stays. Yeah. Self, uh, so prideful. Yeah. We've put up, put out a lot of options, <laughs> all of which are better than n- the nothing that happened. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know why that decision is. I can't understand why they made that decision. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's very strange. It almost feels like they, they didn't know. It's like they didn't know which direction to go, so they just opted to just stay in one place. Yeah, and it just it winds up being very, uh, at a, you know, a scene that is that is always meant to be very rousing. Mm-hmm. Winds up being like the film kind of goes out with a whimper. Yeah, um, and then you have Moses climbing on to af- after the wave has hit him, the wave that's killed all the Egyptians except for Ramses. Yeah. Um, and nearly kills a bunch of the Israelites who like ba- barely make it off of the off of the, you know, out of the out of the way of the yeah. water rushing in. Moses comes climbing up onto the beach, and everybody's just like, "Oh, hi, Moses." There's no reaction of the yeah. people who thought that their leader had been swallowed up by the sea. Yeah. It's, Why? Yeah. Why would there not be any reaction? I don't understand. So. Anyway, I feel like we're, I feel like we're we're liking this movie less the more that we're talking about it. Yeah. Well, that's because, like you said. When you go chronologically from mm-hmm. the beginning to the end, yeah. we like it less. Yeah. Because at the beginning, that's when you have a story that's in, that's interesting. Even though I've seen the story before, 14 years ago, um, <laughs> it's a story that is still kind of compelling. You've got yeah. John Turturro. That's when you're really mm-hmm. being greeted by the spectacle of it all. Yeah. And it's still new and fresh and exciting. Uh, and then, you know, then they st- when they feel like they start to... with out of obligation, they feel obligated to hit this, the biblical story beats and maybe their hearts aren't totally into it or they're Mm -hmm. trying to do something that runs counter to it. That's when it starts to drop off and then it ends in a way that is in no way satisfying. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it's just, uh, it, it winds up being a frustrating film because is it, is it weird of me to think that like, it's not that hard. It really is not that hard to make, I mean, it'll be hard to pull off, but as far as fundamentally, it shouldn't be this difficult to make a satisfying biblical epic. No, I don't think so. Like, if you just stick to it... There's so much again, there. You gotta, you, you'll have to provide dialogue, you'll have to do all right. that, but if you just go by this... And I'm not even talking as a Christian. No. As somebody who believes the Bible. I just mean as as a... And, as somebody who appreciates a good story and well-developed characters and narrative and emotional complexity, you take any ma- Samson, David, Elijah, you know, I don't, there's, I don't think there's ever been, uh, has there ever been Elijah on screen? I don't think there has been. And that kind of surprised me because I feel like there's a lot of really cinematic stuff in that, especially yeah. that, uh, I, I don't remember the name of the place or, or whatever happens, but when there's, uh, uh, some kind of that they're trying to light the fire you know that yeah. one there's like a big some kind of big fire and, and all the the high priests of whatever yeah. are trying to do it themselves bail and asher i believe yeah yeah and yeah. then elijah's like cover that up in water and then prays and then it bursts you know, yeah. like it's fire from the sky well that's like that seems like such an awesome cinematic moment i don't yeah. think that's ever been on film yeah it's very strange that they've never uh delved into that but and maybe that's one that is so obviously god-centric that you can't just rely on the spectacle it has to be about yeah god being kind of amazing and yeah. maybe maybe people don't want to make that movie as much yeah i guess so 
and he yeah and and maybe it's it's almost this self-fulfilling type of thing because since the ten commandments has been and the story of moses has been made so often not unlike when you reboot robocop or something like that it's just like well there's name recognition whereas elijah you don't there because they haven't made it they're not going to make it now Um, it's almost like uh the bible itself doesn't count as existing properties anymore it's only movies that have already been made about the bible counts as existing properties. yeah i think so um but yeah so uh it just, it seems like it wouldn't be that difficult. And I'm not requiring somebody to be a hundred percent faithful to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the Bible. Noah certainly wasn't, but I found yeah. it much more interesting because I feel like though he was still doing his own thing and going at it, at the material from a certain angle, I feel like he still respected the material, maybe not the material. I think he respected maybe the characters enough and the story being told enough mm-hmm. to really see okay well let's let's see what we can do with this even if they come to a conclusion that i don't necessarily agree with i still find it refreshing that somebody's willing to engage with it at all even Mm -hmm. if they even if they don't agree yeah this is a film that i feel like was not looking to engage with the material Mm -hmm. it was just again it's like a greatest hits like they're just it's nothing new you've seen it before you know what to look for here's our version of it the end um, and it just really bothers me as opposed to the companion film. Maybe it's not fair that I choose the companion film, uh, that I go with one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, which is David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia, arguably the best epic of all time. I would say no question. The best epic of all time. Um, and now of course these films aren't thematically very similar, but both of them are, yeah, what do you think of this, jerks? Both of them are based on true stories. What do you think of that? Um, but also just both of them have material that they are based on that people will be aware if you deviate from. Yeah. And uh, both of them have a character who is sort of born into one situation, but feels like he doesn't really belong here yeah. and then finds where he dr- truly does belong. He becomes a leader of men. He's extraordinary and doesn't seem to be thrilled with that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what's, and here's, what's so interesting. Like what motivates Lawrence? Nobody really knows. He's an yeah, enigmatic character definitely. and yet somehow doesn't bother me one bit because well, you can be enigmatic and still be, complex and i still feel like i know you and i feel like that film uses the his enigmatic nature to make him more fascinating yeah. you want to understand him yeah he does not feel half-baked yeah and they just say all right peter o'toole uh, you fill in the gaps <laughs> you know um he's su- yeah lawrence is such a fascinating character um and what's more is you know we talk about all the performances in exodus being pretty good but all of them be playing characters that I feel like I don't know. Mm -hmm. I feel like as I was going through listing characters from, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, I felt like I had a good memory of a lot of them, not merely from the performance, but the way I know who they are. I know what they want. I know how they plan to get it. I know their flaws. I know it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, from, uh, Auda Abu Tayyib, played wonderfully by uh, Anthony Quinn, mm-hmm. or Sheriff Ali, played by Omar Sharif. Even characters that aren't in it a lot, like um, 
Prince Faisal, played by Alec Guinness. Yeah. And then I didn't write it, write it down. I think the character's name is Dryden, played uh, by... Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, the Invisible Man. Claude oh, Rains. Claude Rains. Um, uh, even, even his character, who's just sort of a, a cynical bureaucrat, mm-hmm. I have a strong sense of basically all of these characters. Yeah. Um, I know, and it's... And it's not just great actors, it's well-written characters. Well, absolutely, well-written, well-conceived, um, and it's just, and what's more is the better conceived they are, the more it emphasizes the enigma of Lawrence, which yeah. I think is fascinating. Whereas this, I feel like these characters in, in Exodus, they don't necessarily, they kind of each exist in their own way, but none of them really relate to one another. Like even Ramses and Moses, I feel like I don't have a clear idea of what their relationship is. Like I feel like they're not well-established enough as brothers or Mm -hmm. would-be brothers that when they go away from that, it has an impact on me. It does a little bit, but not much. Which is kind of, it's kind of funny to me that they don't uh, play on that as much because did you notice in the credits, uh, maybe it was at the end of the credits, so did you stay for all the credits or no? Uh, I stayed for a good portion, but I don't think till the end, no. I think this was was at the end of the credits it said for my brother tony oh yes i did see you that. did say okay yes, maybe yes. that was at the beginning of the credits then um so i was like that's and again maybe that's just a random thing but i don't know in, in well i mean tony scott died right uh so it could I guess be while he was making this yeah so maybe it's just purely because of that but the fact that the movie has a central brother yeah tension uh narrative uh i don't know to dedicate the movie to him and have that be a part of it, but not have it be that important or fleshed out seems strange to me. Maybe he felt that that because this film is biblical or it's an epic or whatever, maybe he felt like, you know, you don't want to end the counselor with for my brother. Tony. Um, but yeah, so, but Lawrence of Arabia, it still has that. It, it has a beautiful scale. I mean, it's all on location shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a sense of the world, but you also get a, a very strong sense of who Lawrence is. And he's not a perfect character. He's deeply flawed. Um, he's kind of an interesting blend of Moses and Ramses because there's a fair amount of arrogance in him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more than a little bit of hubris. Yeah. And a very... Very uh, disturbing scene with him and uh, Jose Ferrer. Um, But yeah, it's just, I feel like whether it be biblical or otherwise, I mean, when we were thinking of the companion film, I mean, I I went through a lot of of options and I was thinking like, oh, well, there's, you know, the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt or whatever. But I didn't want it to be just, here's a different version of the Moses story. I feel like, I mean, as I was looking at memorable quotes from Lawrence of Arabia, I actually have, he himself compares he compares himself to moses <laughs> they said oh are you going to do this and he says moses did you know and just <laughs> so it's this idea of having a, a charismatic central character who's not perfect and even a little bit unknowable doing things for reasons of his own but the world around him is well defined well developed including the people around him yeah i feel like there's a way to do it and i feel like david lean did it many times yeah um and so i feel like uh, a lot of the issues and there's a consistent tone, you know, you and I basically, as we talk about the first 45 minutes versus the rest of the film, mm-hmm. we're talking about a, what I, one of my favorite line, one of my favorite phrases, jarring shift in tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Whereas, yeah. 
by locking into the character of Lawrence, it's a consistent tone that is vast yet unknowable. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, how you could talk about the film and the character. And the desert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's just, um, and just a character just kind of figuring out where he fits in this thing and realizing, oh, I fit in a leadership role and people are going to follow me. Mm-hmm. This is weird. Yeah. I mean, how many of us have to deal with that? Well, not many, but Moses did, Elijah did, um, David did. And just, you know, that, and that's, I think, where I become really okay with taking liberties is showing us the human side of these characters and, or, or these, you know, biblical figures and then characters in film and just trying to have them grapple with what is it, you know, like what you and I were talking about, dealing directly with God and realizing like, oh, well, what happens if I don't like what God wants to do? Mm-hmm. And yet I've been chosen. Like, I, I would assume that. God wouldn't suggest anything I don't want to do if he's that he would choose a leader who's in lockstep with him, you know, and it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a film that I feel like there's a lot of potential, uh, sorry, Exodus, gods and Kings. There's a lot of potential there. All the elements are there for it to be a really great film, but it falls short. Whereas a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, because it, that film is something of a miracle, I think. Like, I don't know how you're able to juggle that degree of location shooting and still have a as brilliant a script as that mm-hmm. and be able to direct actors as well as that. David yeah. Lean is something of a master. He's yeah. one of my favorite uh, filmmakers of all time. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, Lawrence Arabia is probably my favorite film of his with a uh, close second being Bridge on the Requires. Bridge on the Requires is amazing as well. Which was also a possibility as a companion film with the character mm. of Colonel Nicholson sort of being a Moses yeah. type. Yeah. Um, and there's a bit of a Ramsey's in there as well, uh, in yeah, Colonel Saito. That's true. But, uh, so I'd say go and see both of them, but Lawrence mm-hmm. of Arabia is specifically because the character is so reluctant, uh, to acknowledge that he's extraordinary and that he can do things that other people can't. Yeah. Um, well, it's also interesting from a, if we're talking kind of from a spectacle standpoint, maybe. Yeah. There is spectacle in, uh, in Lawrence of Arabia, it kind of has to be in yeah. uh, because of where it takes place. It's, it's kind of unavoidable, but it never feels like the spectacle is showy or just right. to keep you interested or anything like that. It never seems like it's a gimmick. No, not at all. Whereas sometimes you, it's very matter of fact. Other times it's actually there's a, almost a fantastical quality to it, but in the same way that it would be for the characters being in that situation. Right. Um, but it doesn't feel in Exodus. It does feel more like here, look at this. Isn't this cool? Which even though I still think it's cool, it's still, I still enjoy it. Yeah. You you feel more of a sense of pandering. Maybe that's probably makes sense. And, and that I don't think we can ascribe as a problem specifically with Exodus. I think, I think a lot of movies kind of tend that way now. A lot of big movies are a lot more so than they did in the sixties, at least. Well, it's that idea of, well, we're putting a lot of money into this. We want to be able to see it on the screen Mm -hmm. and to Exodus's credit. You do. There are some movies that you don't because they've just paid too much for a name actor or something (laughs) like that. Whereas this, it's all there. I mean, you can see every bit of the budget. Um, I don't know what the budget was for Lawrence of Arabia, but I feel like, yeah, that's a, Have you ever seen it on the big screen? Yes. As have I. It's pretty amazing. And it's uh, astounding. And so, uh, and I do, and you and I were talking off mic. I have a Blu-ray copy that I have not yet watched. And 
I feel like I I need to make that a priority because yeah. especially with Blu-ray, uh, I recently rewatched Citizen Kane and thought, and it was my first time seeing it on Blu-ray, and of course it was beautiful. Um, and a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, I feel like. I have a I have a good enough TV and a good enough sound system that I feel like I'll be able to really uh, enjoy the film. Although you cannot beat seeing it on the big screen. Yeah, if you ever get the chance, it really is. It's really yeah. a treat. So uh, I think we will end there. Like I said, we don't have a lot thematically to talk about. Uh, what I will say very briefly is that if you look into the story of Moses or Elijah or David or any of these other figures from the Bible and um, – you know, what I'm talking about sort of with Lawrence of Arabia is you have people that have abilities, but they're not perfect by any stretch. Mm -hmm. They sometimes wrestle with God. They, they make terrible mistakes a lot of the time. Um, but God is still able to use them. And that's what's inspirational. Like Mm -hmm. Moses, him going along is, it should be an inspiration to us, but what is truly amazing and what should hopefully encourage us when we look at these types of, of, of figures is that is the way God chooses flawed people to do great things. Yeah. And that can include uh, you, the listener, uh, in everyday life or, or whatever. So um, I'm sure there are a number of people that would say, yes, but look at all these things I've done. Certainly God can't use me. But of course, he absolutely can. And I think that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons that Exodus bothers me is because I feel like Moses is a fairly flawless character. Mm-hmm. Um, aside, I mean, he wrestles with God, which is nice. Yeah. But as far as his motivations, I feel like he's always, yeah, he's on kind of on of the, the up and up and he seems very competent throughout yeah. the whole thing. And it's, I mean, part of the whole biblical story and you see it happen over and over again, especially through a lot of the old Testament is God using these characters that no one else would use. Exactly. Um, yeah, with which is Saul, uh, right to become Paul and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, uh, David being like oh sure the smallest, you know, youngest son of yeah. some shepherd is like yeah that guy's going to be the king. David, the littlest shepherd, <laughs> right? Yeah, but um, and I think that is very inspiring, and I think teaches us a lot about who God is in many ways, uh, both in that he he finds strength and weakness where other people wouldn't, mm-hmm. and uh, that he can use anyone and anything for his purposes and for his good. Right. All right. I think we will end there. Uh, we've gone a little bit longer than I expected, but that's all right. Um, so yeah, uh, Josh will not be back until the, uh, the, the first year 2034. Year. Uh, oh, right. Yes. The first <laughs> of the year 2034. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and then I will be back next week to just deliver a little, uh, a little mini sode. And then we do have, our next mini-sode about Silence of the Lambs, we have that already recorded, so that'll be going up after uh, the first of the year. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.